Hey guys, welcome to our podcast. We're group five. Um, I'm David Yancey and I'm with Ashton Brock, Andrew Kilgore and Grace Cotton. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about one of the most notable um, gang leaders in the United States history, um, Al Capone. Um, you might know him from um, movies or stories, but um, a lot of the a lot of the myths about Al Capone are true. He was one of the most violent um, gang leaders um, of all time. But uh, today we're going to tell you a little bit more about his history, um, about his upbringing, um, about the crimes that he's committed in his life, and about um, the one thing that actually got him caught that you might not have expected. Um, so yeah, we're going to get right start, um, started right away. Um, Ashton's going to tell us a little bit about his history. So Al Capone was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1899, and he had a pretty normal childhood until he quit school after sixth grade at the age of 14 to become a member of a notorious street gang, which I don't think I could even boil water at 14 years old, so I can't imagine joining a gang. And after he was in that gang for a while, um, Johnny Torrio invited Capone to join him in Chicago. And in the 1920s, Capone moved to Chicago to become an influential lieutenant in the Colisimo mob. And in the 1920s, prohibition was at its height. The Colisimo mob played a part in making alcohol during this. They considered it a growth industry, so they illegally brewed, distilled, and distributed beer and liquor. The mob also had legitimate businesses like cleaning and dyeing fields. So, for example, dry cleaners, which is a pretty standard business when you have sketchy things going on in the background. They were also influential with public officials, labor unions, and employee associations. During their time in Chicago, Torrio became the leader of the Colisimo mob, and he made Capone his right-hand man. And then in 1952, Capone became a mob boss after Torrio was seriously injured, and the Colisimo mob then became the Capone mob. Well, that's really interesting, Ashton. Um, Andrew, tell us, um, what kind of crimes did... Um, Al Capone commit like what kind of stuff was he responsible for because I know he's a um, I, I guess history kind of says that he's a violent criminal but can you give us some more details about that yeah so um, from an early age like the prohibition everything going on Capone um, he really saw the business prospects behind the prohibition um, it didn't take long for him to notice that everyone became a potential customer and that the market for alcohol didn't just immediately disappear because the law changed and everyone became a potential lawbreaker. And uh, he was somebody uh, before long, like organized crime and just spread throughout Chicago with uh, rum running, hijacking and turf wars between all these gangs, basically. So that's how it kind of all got started. And, um, In 1920, during the height of the prohibition, uh, Capone's multi-million dollar Chicago operation in bootlegging, uh, prostitution, and gambling dominated the organized crime scene. And he was allegedly responsible for the St. Valentine's Day massacre of 
1929, everyone knows about that, uh, where he apparently ordered the assassination of seven of his rivals. And then he was arrested for carrying a concealed weapon in Philadelphia, and he was never actually convicted of any of these crimes. But on October of 1931, he was arrested and convicted on mounting evidence of tax evasion for millions of dollars in illegal income. And uh, after he was caught robbing guards in prison, uh, he was sent to Alcatraz in 1934. And there he was basically isolated from the outside world. Uh, he could no longer like influence guards or anything like that. And uh, at that point, he began he began to suffer from poor health. And he contracted syphilis when he was younger. And he now suffered from uh, neurosyphilis, which that causes dementia. And after serving for six and a half years, he was released in 1939 to a mental hospital in Baltimore. And he remained there for three years with his uh, health rapidly declining. And then he lived out his last days in uh, Miami with his wife and he died of cardiac arrest on January 25th, 1947. So that was basically his criminal history. And he actually had more crimes associated with his uh, mobster lifestyle, like murder and things like that. And he bribed some of the officials at penitentiaries, like I mentioned earlier. And that led to him being sent to Alcatraz. And then his health just declined from that point until he eventually uh, passed away in 1947. Wow. Wow. That's pretty interesting. Um, I know you kind of just grazed right over it, but um, Grace, can you tell us a little bit more about what Andrew talked about, how he uh, what, what kind of did Al Capone away was the tax evasion that he was um accused of and um, eventually um, charged with? Uh, yeah. Um, so there's an IRS criminal tax bulletin from 2001 where there's a quote that says, everyone knows that Al Capone, for example, was nailed for income tax evasion, not for the bootlegging, loan sharking, extortion, and prostitution that generated the income accountants. No better than anyone except tax lawyers that illegal income is taxable. So the biggest argument is whether or not his legal income was taxable, but there's a lot of Reddit threads and conspiracy theorists that have dedicated a lot of time to figuring out why Al Capone was even convicted for tax evasion instead of his murder or any of the other crazy things that either Ashton or Andrew both talked about. Um, so as they kind of grazed over, Capone was convicted on multiple counts of tax evasion in 1931. I believe it was about 22 counts. Um, and he gained fame from the initial conviction. And there's all kind of quotes about how he, like when he came out of the courtroom, he's kind of showing off about his charge and kind of acting like, you know, too big for his britches. Um, and his main argument against his tax evasion charges was that the illegal income he had earned, which was just absolutely millions of dollars, um, it just wasn't taxable because it was illegally earned. Um, the years of interest here were 1925, 1926, and 1927. Um, and the case went on and he ended up appealing to district court and that failed. Um, I believe it was first heard in the tax court, appealed to a district court. And I think he even had like a random appeal in Florida and 
all of those failed um, because all of them agreed that the illegal income is taxable. And what they cited was under IRC 61 with the um, definition of gross income, um, but really it's more outlined in a treasury regulation, um, 1.61-14. 1, 1. And then paragraph A, there's like a sentence within the big paragraph that says illegal gains constitute gross income. Um, and it's cited again in a court case called Steinberg versus United States, um, which was more about um, engaging in illegal activity based on um, illegal liquor sales. But still, um, the fact remains that even in the court case that was kind of similar to Capone, the dealings were illegal. Um, but the court held that the income was still taxable despite its illegality. So a quote from Steinberg actually says, on the face of this statute, and this is from the court, which in defining gross, gross income extends the phrase to cover gains and profits as contradistinguished from income. We have no doubt that Congress meant to levy a contribution upon every species of gain, no matter how immoral or vicious the method of acquiring the same might be. So it's pretty clear that the IRC and um, the tax courts are going to hold that, you know, income from illegal dealings and illegal gains does constitute gross income. Wow, that is really interesting. And it's kind of, um, I think it's kind of funny and ironic that, you know, the thing that he was, he was a really smart criminal is what I'm hearing that um, he didn't get, you know, um, well, either he was smart or he was good at bribing. He didn't um, get arrested for anything, any of his other crimes, but that's tax evasion that actually got him in the end. Um, and I'm sure it was kind of uh, uh, kind of funny or kind of ironic seeing him in a tax court, um, a criminal tax court instead of, you know, before a uh, court for any of his other dealings. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for telling me and telling us a little bit about that. I think that's extremely interesting and something that um really kind of like helps you understand like that <laughs> taxes are uh, I, I mean i think the united states government takes taxes extremely seriously in the um especially when you know de uh, just de determining what the law says about taxes so um you know i think it's i think it's crazy that that is what can get a criminal um, arrested, even when they can escape and evaluate outside of um, whatever uh, other charges they may face. Yeah, I think it's something that we don't often think about too with illegal income, you know, whether or not it's taxable. Yeah, and yeah. You're already trying to hide it. So why would you yeah, think about yeah, it even being taxable? I think a I think a very fair you know um, argument to make is like, well, wouldn't reporting it in a tax return you know be evidence for the actions in the first place, which kind of is like I guess it's like a catch twenty two where it's like, okay, well if you don't report it then you'll get caught for tax evasion, but if you do report it you'll get caught for the actual crimes themselves. So I think it's a it's kind of funny and a little bit ironic that you know. I guess there's almost, it seems like there's no, uh, there's no way out, but yeah, thank you guys again for bringing everything. Um, I think that wraps up our podcast for today. I hope everyone, um, you know, learned something and we're going to have our multiple choice questions in um, the little description below. Uh, thank you guys for listening.